Okay, hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. Uh, this is episode number, what did I say, 36? 36, yeah. And joining me today is Kira Omens. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Thank th- you for having me. Thanks for coming out. You're the, the first. Yeah, all right, great. You're the first guest in, in this new space. So oh, it's, really? It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. I like it. Thanks. Thank you. Um, all right. So let me just summarize you really quick. I didn't actually. All right. <clears throat> when I think about you, you are primarily how? Okay. You are an actor. Yes. And you do much more than that. I know you advocate on behalf of the uh, adoptee community. Yes. Yes. You do stunt work. You do voiceover work. You what else? What else? What's um, what's other I'm things? I'm also to... a dancer. I think you covered most of it. I model occasionally. I used to more, but um, now I'm primarily acting, and okay. I think you got pretty much That's all pretty of good. them. Yeah. Okay. Great. So I imagine. <clears throat> I guess like the biggest thing that I was curious to talk about up front. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the more fun acting, st- I mean, not the, okay, <laughs> is I want to talk about uh, adoptees and because like you've been posting a lot on social media and you've been getting out there, I guess like even for years too, like you've been involved with speaking. Yes. Like I, I, I okay, can you just... layout for the people what it is you uh what what the yeah what yeah yes no <laughs> horrible intro to the question no, not, please, at all. Please. not at all so i started my advocacy in the adoptee community mm-hmm. in about 2015 when i entered the pacific miss asian american pageant my platform in that pageant was intercultural understanding and as a transracial adoptee Um, My family is white, my parents are white, my younger sister is white, and my younger brother is adopted from Korea, so I have a very multicultural family, so I really wanted to focus on that and draw more attention to that community, which is extremely marginalized even within, like, because we're a minority within a minority, like, we're Asian Americans, but we're adoptees, so we have a very unique experience, and so I began my advocacy then, and I just... Even after the pageant, um, even after I was the reigning winner from 2015 to 2016 and was doing a lot of work in the D.C. community, I just stuck with it and I just really love all of the people. Like Mm -hmm. My primary goal in that sphere is to give a voice to adoptees and to change the narrative surrounding adoption. There's such a dominant narrative that's very adoptive parent focused. And it's really important to me that people know that adoptees are like, right now we're so viewed as children and babies and we grow up and we have our own opinions and we have our own experiences that I feel like just right now aren't shared in the dominant narrative. And same with birth parents. It's a very important part of the adoption triangle of the people who are involved. And I feel like adoptees and birth parents voices are often silenced so my goal is to just gain more awareness and to educate people about that yes great 
So, all right. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what the what they like? You mentioned the the main the main way people view the adopt the adoptive process or the adoptive scenario. Like, right. what's the what's the leading vision that pe- most people have on it that isn't true or that that yeah what's yeah. right well i believe that like the dominant narrative surrounding yes, adoption the narrative. is very- <laughs> yeah. much better order. that's what i was trying to say <laughs> um it's just very adoptive parent focused and i understand that like because in the beginning when all this was happening like adoptive parents are the ones sharing their experiences sharing their journeys mm-hmm. like um they're very active in like blogs and like writing and everything and so like from their perspective like they are gaining a child gaining a member of their family mm-hmm. so it's a very like joyful process all the way around i mean there are definitely struggles i mean you have to it's a long process it's like can be very time consuming and expensive Mm -hmm. and like there are social workers and lots of things you have to do but for the most part at the end of this you will have a child and a new member of your family and it's a beautiful thing in a lot of people's eyes and that's not always the case from the other sides of the triangle i mean for adoptees we are losing our birth parents we're losing if we're transracial adoptees or international adoptees we're losing a culture oftentimes and are placed into this family that um, unless they've done their proper research and my parents did the best they could with the resources that they had at the time um, into a family that doesn't speak the native language or know a lot about your culture or are outside outsiders to your culture as well so it's like there's a lot of loss and a lot of grief there as well like losing birth parents that you may or may not have contact with and your adoptive parents may feel a certain way about and same with birth parents I mean they're losing a child at the same time and so it's a much more complex like not to say that adoption is never a beautiful thing because I think that in many ways it is I mean I love my family my family is like my life I love my parents but um it's just more complex than that it's not so simple you know what I mean I, I guess like the whole the whole dream is that everybody ideally everybody wins and and at the end of that process right right, it's like someone who wouldn't have who wouldn't have had a home potentially or the 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 birth parents their lives are like everybody's life across the board is kind of like better for for the adoptive process and like that's kind of like the dream but i guess that, you know, like you said, it's very complicated and, and, and we are all human and, and some are younger than others that aren't sure what's going on. So it's right, right. complicated. And no, exactly. Oh, like what you said, I mean, oh, that's my. the ideal, you know, and <laughs> yeah. like, unfortunately, it's just not always, it just doesn't always work out that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that like my adoption story would like be seen by many people as the ideal. Like I'm very happy with my family and my family loves me and um, I don't know my birth parents circumstance but I was adopted at like the height of the one child policy in China and so um, they were in a horrible situation and they might have needed to uh, give me up for a variety of reasons but when you think about it I mean like even if ultimately like it's just kind of a lose-lose you know I mean like ultimately even if like giving me up was what they 
like needed to do in the long run it's still mm -hmm. giving up like a child like so, a child yeah. you gave birth to like yeah. and in my story like raised for five months it's like you I mean there's no no emotional connection there like there's definitely a bond there that had to be severed and so it's just like even if ultimately things worked out you know it's mm -hmm. there's still that loss there yes <laughs> yeah so what so I guess the is the true ideal then <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to I'm trying to okay <laughs> I was gonna ask like yeah is there a part of adoptee advocacy where there's some sort of is there is there any sort of message where adoption is of super last resort that you like you don't want parents to have to go through for like the child's sake is that or is there any what are your thoughts on yeah on that perspective of the birth parents in in that scenario like how does I definitely think there's a balance I mean when I first was learning about all of these things mm -hmm. and was just first being exposed to all these different ideals than I had been growing up I was like kind of alarmed at the idea that there was so much advocacy for family preservation but now as I've come to like meet different people and hear different stories mm -hmm. I I mean and just because it wasn't an option in my case um, doesn't mean that that's not like the ideal like ideally there are societal and economic and political like circumstances where people don't have to give up their child you know and um, so Obviously, that's like the ideal, but that's like not the world yeah. we live in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like adoption will continue to exist. International and transracial adoption will continue to exist. And in that world, mm -hmm. my ideal is just that um, adoptive parents and also like as by an extension society, just that people are more educated on every person's like potential experience and what people could potentially be going through mm -hmm. birth parents included you know just like that more people are educated about the adoptees experience and like what we feel and like the gaslighting that goes on to us like because the narrative is so like adoption is beautiful anytime adoptees have like any kind of negative experience we're told to like you should be grateful or like you don't you're being dramatic mm -hmm. like you should like you're in such a better situation and blah 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 and you know that's not always the case either there i can only speak from my own personal experience but like that's not always the case either yeah yeah it's like it's a very messy <laughs> complicated thing yes all right so i mean there's a lot to dig into there right um, right no, I know it's also a lot. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, yes. Let me just look at my notes. Yeah, All no, right. you're good. You're good. Okay. I okay. I you have done some Q and A's on your YouTube channel, and you've mm -hmm. talked you've talked about this. I mean, you yeah. You, this is yes. So just to clarify, there is more resources for sure where where people can educate themselves and get knowledge on the perspective of an adoptee. I'm sure adoptive parents, like you said, they're the ones out there commonly get getting their stories out and exactly. ex explaining their experience. So through watching a couple of your videos, there were some terms that I wasn't familiar with sure. prior. So yeah. I can bring those up and we can talk about yeah, those. Yeah, definitely. 
and I guess we talked about it a little bit. You didn't quite say it, but there's, I guess there's two terms here. Savior complex. Mm-hmm. Let's start with yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, I was, yeah, I was like, that's a lot. We can just start with that. <laughs> yes. So the savior complex in adoption and more commonly known as like the white savior complex because a lot of times international adoptees will go to more like economically like mm-hmm. affluent um, families, like upper middle class white families. Um, so in adoption, that's when like typically, not always, but Dominantly, um, a white couple will adopt a child of color and their primary purpose is to save that child from their situation. Mm -hmm. Like they go into adopting this child with a mindset that they are saving them. Their child should be Mm -hmm. grateful that they're pulling them out of a worse situation in their minds and like this complex is very dangerous for a lot of reasons and a lot of people like whenever i speak about it are always just like you hate white people and Mm -hmm. like no that's not true it's just more it's like statistically um international adoptees are going to white parents and like because in america specifically like it's also similar in other countries, but like, mm-hmm. since this is where I am in sure, my knowledge, sure. like um, in America specifically, because um, white people are like the majority and um, there is a degree of white privilege in being able to even afford to adopt internationally. Um, that's just the case. That's just the way like it is. And so it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. And like for the adoptive child um, to expect so much, it places, it makes, it just dehumanizes the child. Mm -hmm. Like it dehumanizes them of their own life experiences of like what they may have gone through and um, just like very much makes them an object of like that needs to be saved, you know? And, um, you know, that's not always the case. There are a lot of different stories in like, international adoption where like the um, child was stolen or Mm -hmm. poor families were exploited for their children which also happens in the United States and so (laughs) um, it's just like it really oversimplifies the entire process and it's also dangerous for the adoptee because it puts so much pressure on them to be grateful and to um, be like fall at like people like the expectation that people should treat adoptive parents like a saint like oh there's such good people for adopting Mm -hmm. their child and then it just like diminishes a child's experience and anytime the child may experience something negative it like does not create an environment for them to express that and um adoptees are four times as likely to commit suicide as biological children and so like we're facing uh like a very in like an invisible problem right now and a lot of times that has to do with like psychological and like mental health issues that adopt that that they don't have access to resources and parents like diminish the experience and society Mm -hmm. diminishes their experience so the pain that they're feeling is completely silenced and yeah no i I could see that for sure because you're talking about intention yeah like a white couple wants to adopt a child for whatever reason that let's say they, they can't have children so they're like we want to adopt 
All right, so now let's look at our options. Right. Well, who, who do we want to adopt? How can we make, let's just say with best intentions here, how can we make the biggest impact on this process that we can? And then they're like, oh, we could save, we could save a child from, you know, we're, we're, we're well off. We can save a child from this low-income country, this, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So then I could then see the issue that you're talking about where they end up adopting a non-white child mm -hmm. from a situation that they deem is less favorable. And then as they grow up, there's like this parallel universe that's always in the back of their mind. Exactly. Or, like you said, if, if there's a complaint, it's like, well, remember, Kira, <laughs> what you could have, yeah, what you, yeah, what you... Exactly, like, you the, should the be grateful, like, you could be, that, yeah. like, an orphan in China right now, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. It's like... That, that is difficult, yes. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of just like <clears throat> dismissing experiences and like a lot of toxic positivity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I, yeah, I could imagine even with the best intentions that being a super difficult process to navigate, like there's yeah. no way that's easy. I mean, sure. and like the thing is, is that usually the white savior complex just goes hand in hand with a lack of self-education. Mm -hmm. And so, because I think that, I mean, I personally believe that, like, the reason to adopt is, like, because you want to, like, have a child and love. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, um, like, it is about the child and, like, loving them and having, like, and having expanding family. your family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Expanding your family and, like... Um, no matter how it yeah. comes about, like just being a parent in general, I mean. Yeah, but then, like, like you said, <laughs> oh, this all sounds so difficult. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a lot. So it's even, a lot. So even with the best intentions of wanting the family, absorbing you in, right. and then not like just the best case scenario, there's still the outside world. Exactly. Which will then view that scenario as like, oh you're just white savior parents and it's like no 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 it's not us yeah yeah like it's no i think that it's becoming like a more prominent conversation mm -hmm. and but there are just still so many people who like even in my social media posts like you said like when i bring up the white savior complex which is still a very rampant problem in our community mm -hmm. people are like why is that so bad like i don't see why it's such a big deal that they want to like save a child and it's just like well, it's because you're not giving you're not providing the best environment for your child and like doesn't any parent want their child to grow up like intelligent and worldly and like understand the world in which they live and um and to have that understanding of themselves because especially for transracial adoptees like um we are raised like white like regardless of how well our parents try to educate themselves in our culture, yeah. like they are white. It's just it's just part of it. They and are so white. <laughs> you know, they're, they're it's white. just they like, can't like change it. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so it's just like uh, a lot of times the white savior complex also yeah. feeds into 
um, children, like people of color, like when they grow up, just not being equipped to handle the racism and the way the rest of the mm. world sees them. And yeah. so that also can create a lot of psychological damage when you go out into the real world and can't stay sheltered forever. Like I, yeah. Or, so. or people could just not be racist. That, yeah, that, that, could, too. that could That could be helpful. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a two-way street. Like, you have to... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, the only... Again, talking best-case scenarios here. Mm-hmm. For, in terms of prepping... Because you are of Chinese uh, descent. Yes. So, like, your parents, let's just say... Had made let's say, let's say they adopted you and made the decision to to live in China for the next twenty years. Like that would be a whole different experience, of course, of them molding into molding to you versus you molding to them. Yeah, like that would be an interesting scenario. But that's again, that's a commitment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, that's because like that's what you're saying is is growing up in America. That's kind of like you, you're brought up a certain way versus. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's hard to inject culture that you don't have onto somebody because it's not it's not the natural progression of right. And know. I mean, like, like uh, my parents did, I think, everything that they could to make, give me a healthy relationship with my culture. There's just always that loss there, and that's not even anyone's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just inherently part of the whole system, and. I mean, because my parents did, like, a great job, I think, in terms of, like, giving, like, exposing me to my culture. Like, I took Chinese dance. They put me in Chinese school. Mm -hmm. Like, they, um, it was important to them that I meet other, like, Chinese, like, children. That was my next term. Oh, yeah? It is. Well, this was, you guys expressed, uh, it was racial mirrors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's a common term, because you and the other guy, I didn't recall his name. Yeah, Matt. Matt. Um... (laughs) Yeah, yeah made it seemed like a new term that you weren't familiar with either. It or, was for us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, adoptive parents have said that to me, and I mean, had you heard the term before? No, or? I'm just like I was on the same boat, same boat with you guys. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just like similar to role models, but like specifically of your like race, ethnicity, mm-hmm. and so just like racial mirrors being like. Like, for me, growing up, Mulan was pretty much my only racial mirror in media. Um, So, yeah, just, like, role models, like, people that... And, like, thankfully, like, we're both in the entertainment industry. Like, it's definitely moving in a more... Like, diversity is more of a priority. And, um, yeah, no, it'll... Because that that comes up all the time with... uh, I'm a big fan of, like, Marvel and the superhero movies. So, like, the whole diversifying superhero yeah. landscape with like oh black panther came out and now young young black children can look up to like those heroes and, exactly. and actually having somebody on the screen that looks like you and yeah so, exactly yeah, and, and like not just a so. token character you know like they have so many options now because like when i was growing up like with star wars for instance it was just like oh women have leia (laughs) or padme (laughs) and that's it (laughs) and so it's just like it's very cool to see like i don't know the the shifts that Mm -hmm. hollywood's making in that regard Mm -hmm. yeah i'm also a big fan of marvel movies so it's good to it's good to see that that's becoming more of a priority yeah so speaking of marvel movies i don't know i I was gonna ask you because i know you've done like a movie or you did a movie review on your uh I forget. It was that oh, Mark was Wahlberg a, movie. Yeah, it was of Instant Family. 
Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to get your opinion on. I'm sure we'll come back to. I don't know. There's so much to. Uh, is kind of your thoughts on how adoption, the adoption process, or all that kind of plays in narrative work. Right. So I was even just thinking this morning on like what what examples there are. And this is like super way different for sure, but it kind of came up in, I don't know if you've seen Black Widow yet. I haven't, no. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, but like you, you're familiar with, with Black Widow, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. Because um, they're like Russian agents, they're mm-hmm. Russian spies, right. and like they have this, this family unit where they're not, they're not actually family, but they've been like taken from... Like, the children are taken from their families and raised in this, like, Russian-American fake family. Mm -hmm. So, there's the, there's Scarlett Johansson's character. I don't want to spoil anything. (laughs) It's just, it starts off with the flashbacks. You get to see them as kids, her her and her sister. And the the whole, this isn't my real family, plays Mm -hmm. very heavily into the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Which you can't comment on because you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> no, I'll definitely have to check it out, though. Like, I, it's really interesting how um, I feel like now, because I have such a more critical lens on adoption, it's weird to see those, like, certain tropes. I mean, like, I'm definitely a fan of, like, the found family trope, like, where... And that's in a lot of different movies. I'm thinking, like found family trope yeah just like they're not biologically a family but like by the end of the movie or tv show like all these people who have spent these this time together are kind of like their own kind of family like it's a sitcom trope too (laughs) um but um yeah i was thinking of like like queen's gambit there's an adoption i was gonna bring that one up oh were you yeah what's your thoughts on that i mean i think that it shows a lot of like it shows a darker side of adoption but a very realistic one Mm -hmm. i think that they do a really nice job of like going into a lot of issues that um, the kids may face especially being adopted at an older age where they like can very much they have very much internalized like what's going on around them like i was adopted when i was less than a year old Mm -hmm. and so and i still have a lot of like um like views on um, and like emotions that stem up because of that, but like especially for older kids, like in mm. Queen's Gambit, it's just like there's a lot of heavy things that impact the rest of your life because of that. And I think they do a really nice job. I mean, it's just a great show. Like it's That's very well show. done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> no, I, I very much enjoyed yeah. the show. I was trying to think about yeah, because in that one, because that is an orphanage mm-hmm. yeah so we get to see her i forget i feel like we only see her at two different we see her at two different ages there because she's right. she was there for so long mm-hmm. um and the whole like kind of sedating the kids with the drugs and i guess that changed and i mean that changed in the show too or they like they would give them the pills and then they I guess the law changed that at some point. In the, yeah. So there was that, and that was interesting. But yeah, just the the same weird stuff of like, I guess in that perspective, just watching how uh, almost independent you have to become with just dealing with this weight of 
of of having somebody pick you out of this lot right. is kind of like a whole weird deal. But yeah, yeah, it's a very yeah they, the system is very complicated and like broken in many ways. But um, I think that we're starting to move in a good direction. You know, a, a um, very random franchise, but one that. I feel I have seen many times in adoptee groups is commonly accepted as like a really beautiful okay. example of adoption is Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> people really, people really are like, it's been a really long time since I've seen yeah. all of the movies. Like I've only really seen the, I only really remember the first one, but I remember the second and third one being, um, being good i just think it's so there's three of them yeah i i I don't remember the second and third one as much but like people will pretty like once every couple of weeks i feel like it recirculates in adoptee groups and people are just like you know kung fu panda is really well done like in terms of adoption for kids yeah i don't really remember it very much but that's a so you haven't gone back even with all this this praise you haven't gone back to watch it to to see I haven't. I just okay. like yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> I should maybe. I've, I should. I've, I've only seen it once. I don't really want to see it again, but <laughs> it was fine. But yeah. I don't even recall that being a a, a storyline at all. Is it? Oh, I mean, just like he's the, the panda and his dad's a duck, and I think that like it goes into it a little bit more in the second and third one. Mm. I think in the first one, it's more just like. It's just very comical because, like, yeah, his yeah. dad's just like a sweet little duck. And yeah, because you're like... just playing it as a you're just playing it as a kids a kids movie where it's just cute that all these animals are just like, oh yeah, this is my. We don't ask questions around here. That's my dad. Right. <laughs> that's my, yeah. That's no my questions. mom. But we don't like. Wait, did how did you know? Kids don't think about that normally. Yeah. So I guess it. it I guess does... they delved into that in the sequels. That's interesting. Yeah. It was adopted the whole time. <laughs> Wow. Surprise! Wow. I just, you know, because there's always, like, in those kids' it's movies, I could imagine, like, the stork playing a part where it's not even, like, an adoption. It's just like, all right, this was the baby you were delivered. And it's yeah. like, wait, that's the wrong one. Because <laughs> storks mess up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of cartoons where that happened. Right. Um, another movie I was thinking about, it's actually a TV show. I don't know if you've read this book. I read the book. I didn't really watch the show. It's uh, Little Fires Everywhere. Oh, um, Hulu. No. It's Hulu show. Is that the one with Kerry Washington? Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. Gotcha. Yeah. I have I have not watched it all the way through. I've seen like a little bit. But okay. Yeah. Where, where is that? I don't know. The play? book. I, I couldn't watch the show. But the book was beautiful. Yeah. Um... What was the question? Do you want to know? Oh, yeah. No, I was just curious about your thoughts on that. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So I guess just for, for the people listening, I don't know how much... Can, do you know the story enough to summarize it? or you, You'd probably do a better job. Okay. <laughs> like, I've seen the previews and the trailers, <laughs> and I watched a couple clips from it. Oh, um, okay, but, okay. Yeah, Not no. even a full episode. All right. Um, <sighs> wow. So... Uh, Little Fires Everywhere is a story about, um, what is it about? Okay, it primarily centers around, it's not even centered, okay, there's a family that moves there, that has nothing to do with it, I'm doing a horrible job. (laughs) It's like these women and their sons have a, right, like their their sons have a problem and that kind of intertwines their lives, isn't it? 
so in terms of, I don't think, I think it's the daughters. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Regardless, the story kind of comes, the, the dramatic section of the story is there's a woman, I, I forget her nationality, I think some sort of Asian background on her, and she works at the local, um, like, restaurant or something, and she's kind of in a bad situation, and she gives up, she leaves her daughter she leaves her baby on at the fire station and uh she doesn't tell anybody that she did it nobody knows like so okay so now the story comes down to this baby is going to be adopted by this white family and the book dives very much into that family for sure mm -hmm. where it's like you get to see the process of this woman's had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, and the doctors have finally told her that you that you just gotta stop. Mm -hmm. You cannot do this one more time, and you know it's gonna be really bad. So they decide to look into adopting, and this baby, like they've been trying to, they they've they've done, they've gone through the process. Stuff usually falls through near the end of it, where the family changes their mind or someone else swoops in or I don't, I don't quite know how it works, but regardless, they were, they had issues trying themselves. They had issues going through the process. And then this baby lands on this in town at the fire station. And they're, they, they say that they're happy to take the baby in and watch over it until, until everything gets sorted out or mm -hmm. something. So they're, they're trying to go through the process of adopting the baby through that process, the woman who gave the baby up, her circumstances have changed, and she can now afford to sustain herself comfortably. Like she, she it's been like maybe like seven months or something. The mm -hmm. baby hasn't grown that much, and this woman's like, "I changed my mind. I want my baby back." <laughs> and, and the story kind of devolves. It kind of goes from there with. The family doesn't have the baby yet. This woman has changed her mind on giving up the baby. The state owns the baby because it was left on the fire station. So she gave up her right to her own child. So it comes down to the debate on like who, who gets the baby, who. So it's it, the book does a great job of exploring that, and you feel for you feel for the family trying to adopt. You feel for the woman. Whose, whose circumstances have changed yeah. and the whole town is getting involved. The news is getting oh, involved. Boy. It turns into this whole oh, public debacle and it goes to, they go to court. Mm -hmm. They see, you know, they, all the interviews and are you fit to be a parent? And mm -hmm. where is the baby going to do best? Like all this kind of weird stuff. So, yeah. wow. So. Oh, then we have to check it out. So book over TV show, 100%, you say. 100%. Okay. <laughs> But this is like uh, the TV show felt like it was over dramatizing the scenario where everybody's in heightened states of like just like right. soap opera over the top deliveries. And I'm just like, the book was so much more nuanced. Okay, yeah. So, okay, definitely. Coming from the directing side of things, I'm right. like, uh, I would have taken it a different direction. But no. I could see why. I mean, it's. it's yeah, it's easy to 
dramatized. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. But I really appreciate that you like can appreciate the nuances of like the characters and the situation yeah, that they're yeah. all in. So, okay. Um, next on my reading list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it. But I don't know, even just, just hearing about that scenario, I don't know. I, I, it would be hard to imagine that not being a more common occurrence that happens. People changing their mind, even like years later, and trying to find their child again to reconnect. Like I don't like that's yeah. That's yeah. It's a very complicated situation, and I know that in domestic adoptions, birth parents are more often in the picture um, as yeah. opposed to like international adoptions. It just gets like really tricky and yeah. Um, so that's definitely something mm -hmm. that I'd have to do more research on. But sure. um, as to like how often that happens, because I'd be curious if it did. Yeah. Because it's, that's really, oh, hearts <laughs> like they're very complicated. Yeah. So I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it, it's, it's a great ending. It's a great ending. Okay. I love it. I will it. definitely I check it, it out I and get back it. to you. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if the, the TV show ends like that, but. Okay. Um, okay, so I was kind of confused watching a couple of the videos where I couldn't tell on if it was being referenced that being an adoptee was a disability or if it was looked at as a disability or if the, the topic, that, that's not a thing, right? No, okay. no, All no. Right. I was, I was kind of confused. I felt like that was... Maybe I was just listening wrong or something, but... Yeah, no, I definitely would not describe okay. it as being a disability. Okay. It's a marginalized group for sure, but there, I, like, there's some crossover in that there are a lot of children who are adopted internationally who are disabled. Okay. And um, that's like another prevalent problem is that um, those children are often like the when, this is where also the white savior complex ties in is like this mm -hmm. um, very affluent couple will adopt a child with disabilities um, from a different country or maybe even domestically I'm not really sure what the statistics are surrounding that but they will adopt um, this happened with Micah Stoffer and um, who is like a very recent like big case of adoptive an adoptive mother who did this and mm. she like um, monetized videos about her disabled um child and um like was like had one of those adoptive parent vlogs and is very popular online and mm. then when it proved to be too much for her and that's where like a problem with the white savior complex comes in is it's like a very simplified for view. her as in the mother as or in the, the mother yeah it became too child. hard for okay. the mother and um the child still very was still very very okay. young this happened very recently um but like it the savior complex oversimplifies what goes into being an adoptive parent and so more often than not children with disabilities who are adopted are the ones who are rehomed and like from their adoptive parents are again like placed into the system like put into like they try to find another family for them sometimes they just happen on facebook groups and it's just really heartbreaking to see because like the amount of psychological trauma and damage that that would cause a child even from a young age mm -hmm. is just astronomical you know it's just like how is that child supposed to form healthy attachments and to have a healthy like self-esteem and like grow up feeling valued in any way when 
um, this family that was supposed to love them unconditionally and provide a safe environment for them all of a sudden decides that they can't deal with their disability and so they're mm -hmm. going to yeah. give them up again you know it's like it's not an animal it shouldn't happen with animals either you know um, but it's it's really sad just to see the degree to which like some adoptive parents don't consider their adoptive child actually part of the family because I mean can you just imagine the outrage of like a biological parent like just deciding they don't want to deal with their child yeah, anymore right. it's yeah. like yeah. So when you say it happens over Facebook groups, what were you referring to? There like, are just some Facebook like rehoming groups where they'll be like, I saw an ad, like an ad for it the other day of like a air quotes. Uh, ad. Yeah, it's just I, I, I put air quotes around like everything involving that just because I'm just like this should this isn't actually this a thing. A, it shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. But it is very much a something that happens. <laughs> but just like an ad that was like 13 year old like Chinese um, adopted girl like having trouble with her other siblings blah 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 oh, wow. and like look would do very well with parents who blah 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 and I'm just like oh my gosh like I just like I can't even imagine like myself putting myself in that situation and she had a disability as well but just to know that my parents like we're trying to give me up yeah. in this way. Like as a 13 year old girl, like there are already so many things going on in your head. Like middle school is not a good time for anyone. <laughs> and like, just to have that on top of that. And it's just like having issues with your siblings is a thing, you know, that's yeah, just like part, part of, of being a family, you know? And, uh, and that like, that was the issue that they seem to be struggling with. And it's just like, well, yeah, be, now you like, you very much view this child as an outsider in your family who's coming in and, creating mm -hmm. issues like sometimes siblings fight that's just a sure, thing sure. but yeah no it's that's really crazy. yeah it's really weird to, and a lot of I don't know if you had even heard about that before but it's just something that was brought to my attention and I just it's just so wrong on what, so the, many levels the, just the rehoming re on Facebook so okay because like you said it, it so <laughs> it's not that is not something, I, I understand the aspect of this is something we don't want to happen. Is that something that is legal? Like I'm not entirely sure. So, so this family, let's just say if somebody responds to the ad and like, oh my gosh, we love what we're hearing. We would love to take on this child. It would be kind of like, under the table transactional kind of thing how that doesn't seem to make how would that play out if i'm not entirely okay, sure i don't know the legal um implications of that but i mean there are just yeah regardless it just i was going to say it just happens like it's very much like like human trafficking i mean there are like news reports and articles about like children who like teenagers who were adopted internationally and then just like given to another family and then they're never seen again mm -hmm. and um that happens like and you know it, it might not be legal but it's very much a problem wow. and so i was yeah, yeah i was not quite aware it's, yeah it's a that is crazy no it definitely sounds like an ad for for a pet more than a child yeah That's... exactly it's really it's really sickening Ugh, makes me want to throw up <laughs>
minutes. Okay. Um, anything? Okay. What? So we'll move on to a new topic here soon, sure. but was there anything? I don't have any other notes on. Um, So I guess to reiterate the importance of understanding people's experiences and what they're going through and what they can go through, it reminds me a lot, because something that's been on my mind, I worked on a gig recently where we were talking about um, uh, divorce and the well-being of the children involved in that scenario. So I know like children in the family setting, like I, I've been blessed enough to where, where like my parents are still together. And so I never had any experience with parents that weren't biologically mine mm -hmm. or my parents divorcing and having to travel between different States or right. like all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I guess this, I'm trying to figure out a nice succinct way of buttoning up that topic is what is the most important thing to just keep in the back of our minds with, I guess, adoptees or... I mean, I would just uh, hope that people would be open to learning about another side of adoption, that they're not so... Um, taken with the adoption is beautiful narrative that they're just open like have open minds and open hearts to learning about other people's stories and other people's experiences because that's the only way that mm -hmm. we're ever going to create meaningful sustainable change in the system is if we have like public support and public understanding of what's going on and then we can garner traction in like the legal systems and in agencies to um, create an environment that just says certain things are not okay. And um, so hopefully we can all just like learn and grow yeah. together and create that change yeah, to make it. it a better system for the children. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say what we could actually end on with that is a very, some nice, very simple answers for, for folk, just either nice reminders or something that I'm sure many people don't think about is the is the person-to-person -person interaction of when you meet somebody that mentions, oh, I was adopted, there's, I know you have a video of like the, the five things not to do or mm -hmm. five things not to say, or yeah. I know there's, there's the things of like, I don't know, there's questions that people ask based on like ignorance and curiosity where they're kind of just like stepping over the line mm -hmm. on uh, trying to dive into these very personal right, things. Right, right. Just that like every adoptee's experience is super different, you know? I mean, some people like myself are more comfortable sharing aspects mm -hmm. of their story, but other people might not be and might have a lot of... Um, just like it's just, it's just a personal choice it can be a very private thing and so um, I just think that that ignorance comes from just not understanding um, that 
Like that's a very personal part of your life. It's a very personal like relationship that you have with your adoption story. And some people haven't like fully explored that. It might be uncomfortable or just like, it's just important to be sensitive and empathetic to how you feel the other person is responding to you and not asking questions like, um, how much did you cost? Or like, uh, what, why didn't your real parents want you? Like using real parents as yeah. a term for biological or like first parents or birth parents um, are terms that are more, um, are less loaded. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, just being sensitive. And if there, if you actually want to learn about adoptees, there are lots of great resources to do that as opposed to badgering someone with questions that they might not want to answer because just because they're adopted doesn't mean that they are a spokesperson or like have any responsibility to um, feed your education. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I guess let's try not to approach it as a as a fun fact. Right. It's a very it's very much yeah. a life experience, a life story, a life journey and not always a happy one. So exactly. That's a good way to put it. Like not just a fun fact about It's like, someone. "Oh my gosh, you're adopted." Yeah. Tell me and it's like, "No, no, 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 no. It's not a it's no, nope. Uh-uh." Yeah, and some people might feel differently, but I think if you just, like, go into a conversation sure. of just, like, being sensitive to the fact that it's not a fun thing for everyone, some people may feel differently, like I said yeah, again, but yeah. just to have that empathy and sensitivity surrounding it. No, just like any any human-to-human -human interaction is, like, you know, feel it, feel it out, gauge the, gauge the responses. Exactly. Use, use that, use your intuition there. Right. I mean, like you, people. exactly like you mentioned, like with divorce, like you wouldn't want to go into just someone's like family's business in that yeah, so way, right? Yeah, for divorce. Like how did it? Like, yeah. Why, why, you know, like why did they do that? Was, or blah, blah, blah. That? Like how did to... that affect you? It's like, uh, that's not, <laughs> yeah. maybe don't ask things like that. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. <clears throat> okay. I'm still trying to work on my, my segue ability. <laughs> I, I, I've got nothing here. Um, so jumping on, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about um, acting. Yeah. You, I think we talked, it was off camera. I think you were saying that you used to do, oh no, you said it in the beginning, modeling, you do you transition more to just you've been able to yeah focus more on the acting specifically yeah but. i definitely started off like wanting to act and modeling was kind of like after i won the pageant um i was like okay this is another thing that i can do but yeah i've always like acting has always been like my primary interest and primary career goal okay okay yeah. all right so that's the dream yeah <laughs> acting is is the dream okay just to clarify. Um, so, <laughs> uh, let's talk, because you're, you're multi-talented. Um, got a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of tricks in the bag, <laughs> is how I'll put it. So, how did, uh, did you grow... Are you from L.A.? I'm not. I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, so just outside okay. of D.C. Okay. And then, if, if all right, so how, 
I'm, I'm a big fan of timelines and seeing how stuff plays out. Yeah. So acting was always something that you wanted to do or when did, when did LA in the back of your mind, like start like moving to LA? How long did you know you wanted to come out here and, and do, and do your, do this, do this thing, this crazy thing? I mean, I, so when I first went into high school, I was very much like, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to like write fiction. Mm. Um, and I thought that maybe I wanted to write movies or TV shows. And so I took like a theater class because that was the closest thing that I had in school. Yeah. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. I had a really wonderful teacher. He helped me come out in my shell. I think that acting really helped me come into my own and gain some confidence that I didn't have before coming to high school. And um, so I went to governor school for acting while I was in high school. I like did a lot of different programs and so went to college, got my BFA in acting, minor in mm -hmm. communication, and um, just was doing really well in the DC market, but very much felt like I was hitting my head against the ceiling. I was like, this is the market that I have here. Um, it's a great market, like I, I love DC, mm -hmm. but I just knew that I wanted to challenge myself to like the absolute height of my ability. Like that's always sure. something sure. that like my parents instilled in me since I was very young. Just like always take the high road, never take the easy way out. Like, I don't know, I'm like, I never get too, too comfortable. Um, and so. It's a blessing and a curse, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that you have your own uh, experiences, no, like deciding sounds, to do directing. It sounds directing. very similar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I moved out to LA like almost exactly two years ago, okay. and um, I debated where which city I wanted to be in, but I came out and visited LA. I have a, I had a lot of connections out here, and so once I moved out here, I just because of like, I have such a wonderful, like supportive network. I was able to start working like pretty much right away. Like when I first got out here, I, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, like when I first got out here, like within the first couple weeks, I like booked a voiceover for HBO and was like, um, like within the first couple months, like was the lead in a short film for Hooked and um, was just like, I was just very, very fortunate. And obviously like yeah. uh, most of that two years has been very pandemic centered, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm, I was, was going to say, yeah, yeah, it's quite the two year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I during that time I did a lot of voice acting, and so I was fortunate enough to have broken into that side of the industry before the pandemic started. Yeah, like I yeah. was doing audiobooks full time before I even moved out here. So, um, like voice acting full time is yeah, such you, a dream. That's, it's a great um, socially distanced <laughs> money making avenue to exactly. travel down. That's very that's very. Uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I was going to say lucky, but I mean, like, you know, it just is to, so, to, yeah. to balance out with what the world, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Right, just it's being crazy. in the, I mean, you know this, like being in the right place at the right time and having the right skills to deliver when yeah. you're asked to, it's all like a lot of things having to align for yeah. you to get a job, right? Oh, okay, so you moved here a couple of years ago now. Yeah, because I think I'm, I'm just two and a half years in. Yeah? So. Where did you move from? I moved here from Reno. Oh, Nevada. okay. Gotcha. So, you know, it's a day drive away, a little yeah. bit closer than D.C. or Virginia. Um, yeah, that's my answer to your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, how, 
Okay, because I, I, I know I have a lot of actor friends. Um, I'm trying to... It's very cool. It's not a common story that I've heard. I'm sure you've probably heard this too. Or getting to LA and then having having the work right you know that soon after is not a common experience so how did you you mentioned that you knew people already and how did you develop connections from the distance to be ready for the move or how did how did you coordinate all of that Right. So I had a manager in the DC area and a wonderful agent. And it was very much just once I began to voice to people that I wanted to move to LA, there were people who I had just who enjoyed working with me mm -hmm. and um, like thought well of me and wanted me to succeed who were just so, so generous. I mean, yeah, and like just connected me with people out here. My manager connected me with a manager out here mm -hmm. who got me agency meetings. So I was able to get signed to a, um, a wonderful agency. I'm with Avalon Artists Group, like pretty much like within a couple months of being out here and was getting auditions mm -hmm. and that like my agent connected me to a manager. And so now I have like this team working together and I've just been able to um, since the pandemic and since things have been opening up again, been able to audition pretty consistently. But mm -hmm. I mean, another person who was like really instrumental to me was Randy Thomas. She does all of the voiceovers for the award shows. She's the mm. one being like, this is the 73rd oh. annual Oscar ceremony. <laughs> like, um, okay, yeah. and so she was really, really wonderful to me. I had met her because of a contact I had in Virginia who just put me in touch with her. I got coffee with her. Like, She's been a wonderful mentor to me and like so, so generous and with her time and um, I'm just so appreciative to her because she's the reason I got the job for HBO. She is like just been a huge inspiration for me for my voiceover career. So mm -hmm. yeah, just having the right people no, in my that's life. That's great. That's yeah. great. I think, I think the important thing to take away from that is the... Uh, there's a couple of things that I take away. Yeah. Is there is the the voicing what you want. Mm -hmm. I want to move to LA. This is what I want to do there. And then, you know, if you have the right people around you that you're ideally telling this to, they're more than happy to try to help connect some dots and help you along the journey because they believe in you. And then the follow-up takeaway is, of course, following through with not just saying, I want to go to L.A., right. but actually making the move. Because I know that a lot of people, like, it's kind of a weird thing to balance for sure, where it's like, you want to help people, but it's hard to gauge how much to help until they make the next jump. Because it's like, all right, great, I can, connect, I can connect you to this person, this person, but you kind of have to be there to capitalize on it. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like being there to deliver and also like being the person that they say you're going to be also I think is part of it, you know? I just like if that makes sense, just <laughs> um, like if you have a good reputation with this person, like being able to show that when you meet the other people and so like they also want to help you mm -hmm. and like you grow with you. Do you have any tips on that? Oh, I, <laughs> I, have I mean, just like... Um, <laughs> I guess just like you said, following through, being a reliable person, like everything that would make you a good person to work with, you know, having a good attitude, like having the 
soft skills like being on time being able to like at least for actors like being off book and like mm-hmm. being easy to work with being able to take directions like I'm sure things that you value sure, as a director sure, you know sure. <laughs> just like having all of those skills in line so that um if you are recommended to someone by someone that they respect making sure that that relationship and you cultivate like a positive environment yeah. you know yeah yeah that's great I was going to simplify that a little bit. Yeah. That's kind of like a half joke answer. But like, I was going to say the best way of going about all of that is just like developing, developing yourself in this nice, I guess like just be yourself. Yeah. Learn to, learn to be authentic and harness who you are. So that way, no matter who you get in front of, it's just like, this is who I am. Yeah, exactly. And as long as the person, yeah, the people that are connecting, the, the people that you're connecting to, if, if you're authentic with this person, they recommend you to this person, you're authentic. Like you just, if you just, I don't know, consistency in, yeah. in thyself. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's, no, exactly. I completely agree with you. Yeah, consistency is key for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want it, okay. <clears throat> Great. So you're doing, you're doing, v, now I was going to say VR. Oh. <laughs> VO. Yeah. <laughs> voiceover, not virtual reality. Um, I was curious to hear more about this audiobook stuff. Because you, I don't know if it was a recent post. I think you did a recent post about it because I put a note down. Um, it was Voice Over Actors Day. Yeah, yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> so, um you had mentioned that you have done over like 130 audiobooks. Yes. Which is a lot. It is a lot. It's a big it's number. It's a lot of reading for sure. <laughs> so what what's how is that and and what is that okay for people that are unaware of the process A the how the voice is it, is it about the voice is it about the content is it about being able to deliver is it about the audio equipment is it about turnaround? oh i mean all of the above <laughs> like but uh, like i said before just like lots of lots of soft skills in addition to being able to perform you know uh, soft so, skills i've never heard that term before. yeah just like the things that um like things that anyone can do, like being on time, replying to emails, yeah. like those like the or like the little yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, with audiobooks, it's very much like I, that was another instance of me being in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and having the skills to deliver when I was called upon. Yeah. Um, but so, so. I work directly with publishers and with um, Find Away Voices who. Um, will send me work every month and um like the process involved with that like I have to audition for things usually auditions are like three to five minutes long and mm-hmm. I just read a sample of their book and send it back and if they want me we sign the contracts and everything and um like get the deadlines get the rate all of the logistics figured out and then I send like usually they'll send me a sheet that has like the um major characters and what they want those voices to sound like mm-hmm. and any terms that I might be unfamiliar with, whether they're 
fantasy like made up terms by the author or just like terms in another language or anything like that that I might need to know before I begin reading then I submit a 15 minute sample of the book and at that point the authors can tell me um, what to change, anything like that. They can request one new sample. And, th and that's after you've already been booked. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And so at that point, like, they can request another sample, which might be another section of the book with different characters they want to hear, or the same section where they want to change the tone of their narration or whatever mm -hmm. it is they would like creatively. And then um, I just proceed with the rest of the book and I edit everything and upload it to ACX or Findaway or whatever platform. Um, I work with another guy who I just send a zip file to. It's like, what? it's whatever. Sure, sure. And, um, and then that's it. <laughs> and then it's Audiobook. done. And then it's up. <laughs> and then I'm rich. Okay. <laughs> um, so how did how did uh, okay? What is your how does what is your this is a vague question, yeah, yeah. but what is your biggest takeaway from the experience of? voice of, of of doing the audiobooks like what is do you yeah like take away <laughs> that, that was like, too vague oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, you're fine. in terms of like <clears throat> let's just say i guess the process in general um i don't know if the, do people do people review your voiceoverness or like or maybe like what the keys what what the 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 consistent the consistent thing that everybody seems to want from your from your reading or oh, i don't know i see um i'd be curious to know that myself <laughs> you know ask the authors who um listen to my auditions but um <laughs> plenty to yeah plenty to ask here yeah i mean i think that i have um, decent level of equipment. I try to have um, a lot of energy in my when reads. When you say equipment, and I have a um, like my mic. Okay, and you're not talking about like your lungs and your vocal <laughs> range. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I was talking about like physical like equipment yeah. that you need to record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that like I I definitely try to bring a lot of energy and life into my reads. Like mm -hmm. it's obviously an audiobook, so it's not voice acting. It's not or yeah. like. Yeah, it's not character animation acting, which is very different, where it's just like all out, like you're fully in it, whereas with audiobooks, you're um, juggling a lot of things. You're juggling the narration and the different characters and the tone and the pace, and um, like you are the listener's sole path into that story. Yeah. And um, so you have to use the words to like guide them through it and make them feel how the author wants them to feel. Mm -hmm. And so I think that... I don't know. I would hope that um, they think that like I bring energy and like help bring their book to life in a way in the way that they intended. Because like in my mind, I'm trying to like work with them to like read their intent and also like get that across in my voice to the listener. Oh, you know? Sure. I mean, in, in a way, it sounds like an actor director relationship. Yeah. Where it's it's their story literally, mm -hmm. and you're just doing the best you can to bring it to life it sounds great yeah i know i mean like because you're you work in a lot of different areas as well yeah. like behind yeah. the camera and um 
Yeah, no, like, from a director's perspective, I imagine that, like, I mean, you are juggling a lot of different people's visions mm -hmm. and things like that all of the time. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it sounds... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Easier gonna... than your job. But... <laughs> so I was going to ask about um, how has it impacted your reading that's a vague, that's, uh, I don't you, read. A, I don't read for fun anymore. <laughs> really? Um, what? Really? Yeah, very rarely. I mean, it's been a while since I've gotten through. Like I've. So she's not going to be reading Little Fires everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely will. I have like I will. I just get through books very slowly now mm -hmm. because like at the end of the day. I've been reading a book all day. Okay, and you're so pretty consistently like, doing some sort of audio. Oh yeah, work. no, I I do that full time. Like that's my full time job, okay. um, and which is really sense, nice. Then. Yeah, because I can just be flexible, and if I have a shoot, yeah. you know, I don't have to worry about calling out or anything. Yeah, I mean that's how I can be too. Where yeah. like I know I have stints of because I, I write screenplays as well for stuff I want to direct. So. Like, I have a co-writer, at least, but, like, we'll, we'll have, like, deadlines that we set for ourselves, and when I'm, or if I'm script supervising, I have to read other people's scripts to break them down, and blah, 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 so if I'm reading, if I'm writing my own stuff, or having to read through other people's stuff, and then I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to sit down and read this book today. <laughs> like, right. I, I do, I have, last year I set a goal for myself for half an hour of reading a day, Oh, that's I, great. Yeah, it's less than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was not a reader for most of my life. So I was like, you know what? I've heard too many stats about reading being good for you. And I want to, instead of like traveling the world, I'm like, this is a nice in-between of escaping yeah. and getting other perspectives without doing that. So regardless, I have my half an hour a day, but then there's the days where I'm doing reading as work. And that kind of kills the excitement of the reading for leisure because it just then it turns into work. Yeah, exactly. We just got to power through and read for fun anyway. It's yeah, my I know. Thing, but no, I you read more than I do. So. Well, <laughs> I definitely have been working through. I just get through books very slowly because I'm always working on like my own, like on a like reading for pleasure book. I just get through it so slowly, and like that's what? like when it's nice to be on How set. How slow are you talking? Like, you like you read uh, so you don't you read so infrequently. It takes forever. Right. It t it's just like like being in a certain mood um, because like for a while, which I should get back to, but I was reading right before I went to bed instead of like scrolling through my phone and trying to yeah. figure things out, and so that was kind of good because it was relaxing. Um, rest those eyes for sure yeah definitely screen time i think it's just very much like when i'm in the mood because um some days i'll like really push myself and like do a lot more recording mm -hmm. um then other days i'll just be like okay i have a couple of other things to, like i have to memorize a script or i have to do a self-tape or something like that and so i get less recording done and then i maybe feel like reading um like for pleasure more and so it just kind of depends sure. this one being on set is nice because like in between scenes i'll just like i usually bring a book to set just in case <laughs> yeah i never get to my books on set but oh well you're well you're I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a different like, capacity yeah yeah you get to sit around more <laughs> <laughs> um okay yeah i was, I was also curious because you mentioned writing was a thing that you were mm -hmm. you were in your earlier days, that was 
something you were looking to either you didn't really mention pursuing writing but you enjoyed writing yeah I before acting that was what I wanted to do but mm -hmm. I was also very young and didn't really know like what like, path like what I was like yeah. yeah exactly and that's something that I'm still very interested I mean I write a lot of um, autobiographical essays and articles on adoption mm -hmm. and things like that and I mean I've um, I've definitely written a lot I just like haven't really journeyed into the publishing world at all that's just not something that I can devote my energy to right sure. now with my <laughs> acting career and stuff but it's definitely something I haven't closed the door on so it sounds like you're writing in prose versus like screenplay Yes, okay. yes. It's either, like, I either write fiction or I write, like, novels specifically, yeah. or, um... Or the essay. Or the essay. Yeah. Yeah, articles. Because initially like, when you, I think, I don't know where you mentioned it, or if you mentioned it on this. I'm confused now. <laughs> but, um, you had mentioned that you had written an, auto, an autobiographical, like, almost not like a life story, or maybe it was... So I, when I heard you say that you were writing a story about yourself and your experiences, I imagined it, because you're an actor, that you're writing it for the screen, but it sounds oh. more like you're writing it for yeah. more of the, more of the yeah, novelistic more side of things. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I haven't actually, outside of like screenwriting classes I took in college mm -hmm. I haven't actually written anything specifically for the screen everything I've written has been like okay. um, articles or um, or novels yeah okay <laughs> so then my follow-up question yeah is all the audiobook reading you do how has that influenced your writing oh that's a that's a good question oh. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that I don't know. I mean, as a because you're a writer and just like reading other people's work, you just are always learning something about like what you like and what they've mm -hmm. done or what you didn't like and what you would do differently. And so I think that it's just really nice to be um, constantly learning. I feel like and constantly critiquing and developing like a critical mind mm -hmm. for those things. And I mean reading definitely improves writing i mean just like the more uh work that you're exposed to like the more that you see how different people do different things mm -hmm. like you can develop your own process and all of that stuff so i don't yeah. know if you feel similarly no, when you read and experience that's things. the whole point <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i was yeah i guess like i would it would have been a weird answer to be like no like my writing still <laughs> i was unaffected by <laughs> 130 books that I read and I took nothing away right. so I was like oh okay well next question yeah. no but no that sounds about right yeah because uh yeah I mean that's that's the joy of of the reading and and getting perspectives because it's interesting to see how one person approaches a certain topic or even like the variation in the prose writing itself like I know getting back into reading like um I know some books, I don't know, some books, like, you know, you write in the second person or you write in the third person or you write in the first person. And, and then from there, there's like different stylistic choices of where, 
I know some books recently, I don't know if it's a recent thing. I feel like it's a recent thing for some reason, but like the, the dialogue isn't even in quotations anymore. Oh. Like I've read books where it's just like you're reading it and your mind has to process, is this dialogue or is this description as you're oh. reading it? And you kind of get used to it, but oh, okay. it'll throw you off at times where you're like, yeah. you just have to keep up with, it's like a stream of consciousness kind of, like I don't even know, it's weird. Oh, that sounds like a narr- like audiobook narrator's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess it would depend how the author would want it read mm-hmm. if they want it all read in the same narrative voice. So you, so the reader still mm-hmm. has to take that journey. But I, I imagine it would still read as dialogue. Yeah. It's just it's, so you have to adjust the character voice. But that is different and, because yeah. when you're reading it, it keeps you on your toes. You have to yeah. very heavily be involved in consumed by it because uh yeah but people are trying weird stuff and yeah, i really dig it yeah um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes great all right so we we're talking about acting i don't know how far we got with that we got into you you, you moved here you got into voiceover work the pandemic hit you're doing audio work a lot yeah stuff is opening back up you mentioned that you were kind of taking a step away from modeling, mm-hmm. going towards the acting. I was going to ask you about, I don't know, I saw you posting a lot about this Power Rangers, this Power Rangers project. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Because that's not, that's not official. No, it's, okay. yeah, it's an independent, okay, yeah. Um, it's an independent company. So, so it's uh, pretty legit. Yeah, so like. Uh, Crimson Vision Studios and Nerdbot Productions work together, and Nerdbot runs uh, Anime Pasadena out here, I believe, is the um, name of the convention that they run. I um, shouldn't have said that because I'm not positive. But, it's all good. It's all uh, good. <laughs> I, they, won, they run one of the conventions out here and do a lot of work in that community. So that's um, that company, and they... Yeah. <laughs> you can't see it. The Wolf Ranger. Uh, Purple so, Wolf Ranger. Yeah. And, like, they're just so much fun to work with. And I really like working with them just because, like, I like my character. I feel like like they're very open to my input. So it's very much, like, a collaborative yeah. process. And, I mean, like, as working on, like, anything indie, like, it's, it's really nice to... I don't know, be able to contribute and, um, like collaborate with other people. And I also get to use my martial arts and like screen combat experience. And so that's a lot of fun. And so I'm able to like be, it's very creatively fulfilling to work with them. They're really great. Great. Yeah. So I said, I don't know when this thing, I don't know how long this has been going on or how many episodes you guys are pushing for, if it's just like an ongoing thing. Yeah. You posted in April that episode two was coming soon. I don't know if it has come yet. It just came like last week or like a few days ago, like July 15th. Where do people find it? It is on YouTube, on Nerdbot Productions YouTube channel. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) All right. Um, What? So I guess that almost sounds like a dream... Are you a Power Rangers fan? I shouldn't ask you. Of course you have to be. All right, never mind. I know. <laughs> so I never watched it growing up, mm-hmm. um, but I 
was called back a couple times for like the Nickelodeon show I think it was on and um, when I got called back for like the actual like TV show that shot in New Zealand I was like I did so much research yeah I did like so much research on Power Rangers and kind of became a fan because I thought I was just like oh if I get involved in this franchise I gotta know everything Um, but um, ultimately didn't get that but um, just like this has been like a really fun um a really fun project yeah. and way to challenge myself. How is, how, how is uh, that process of auditioning for, for that? Like, what did that look like? Because I'm sure it was an extensive deal, right? Yeah, or it was like... like an open call casting. Mm-hmm. So, like, you just sent in, like, a video with a slate and then just whatever showcased your abilities the best. So I had, like, a bunch of martial arts clips. Like, I had done... Um, a lot of like indie action films mm-hmm. and like I'm a dancer so I had clips for my dance performance so I was able to do that uh, they asked for another video of like uh, my certain athletic abilities and they asked for another video of the acting scene and um, and then like some pictures of me and everything okay. and I actually didn't live in LA at this time so I was in DC and um, seemed bummed about it Oh yeah, well, well, it was because they were like they asked where I was based, oh, and so I like couldn't, couldn't, couldn't come in, it. and so yeah, it wasn't local. Even though it was like an open casting call, it was just like wherever. But sure. I mean, they clearly had enough people already, and um, that was totally fine. Oh, okay, I, I, okay. I don't think I was ready to move to New Zealand for a year. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing is, I had directed one of the guys that did get the role oh nice yeah i I don't know if he fought along to see who actually was cast and stuff but what's uh, his name his name is jasmeet badawalia shout out to jazz um he's from reno oh and he what he's uh uh, i think he got to play the blue ranger nice so it's kind of like a a funny thing seeing somebody that i had worked with before yeah. And he, yeah, he was in New Zealand for a while, and no, that, that was a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Was, I mean, yeah. so the series that I work on, they pull in actual actors from the show. So the lead oh. of the series that I'm working on um, is William Schufelt. And so he reprises his role of like Brody so Romero, cool. and so yeah, so I'm in a That's bunch of scenes fun. with him. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, it's fun to. I mean, he's great. Like he's such a joy on set like really good energy and um they also bring in uh jessica ray who played Alyssa, and they um they, yeah they bring in a lot of like the That's actual cool. people from the show and like create have created this like extended universe so and, it's and they're and power rangers is cool with this happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay they've signed off in some capacity or they're not taking it down at least i'm yeah i was gonna say i don't i don't yeah, know like a, a, yeah I'm, a lot of the actors are um are in it so i would imagine they would know well, about it, it sounds like um well i guess like jazz he just moved back he doesn't he he's never lived in la he was oh, he was okay. in reno so I'm, I'm assuming that's probably why he's not involved. Like, if he was down here, I'm sure they'd hit him up and be like, hey, come hang out on set, come do this yeah. thing. But it sounds very much like the Star Trek kind of community, too, where those actors are always super supportive of those, like, offshoot indie things or other right. sci-fi-esque stuff. But right. Regardless, what I was going to say is it sounds like very much like a 
a dream-esque role where you get to do your acting, you get to do, like you said, the physicality, and you're involved creatively. Yeah. And it sounds like a, a nice, wonderful experience. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a really fun passion project. What? My notes. All right. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned on your Instagram that you... So you mentioned martial arts and you also mentioned that you are a black belt can you tell me more about that sure i am a third degree black belt in taekwondo i started doing martial arts when i was six and um just stuck with it i i really enjoy it i also have a little bit of training in Krav Maga and brazilian jiu-jitsu and lots of experience with i took many many classes in stage combat and screen combat and stunts and but I'm I'm not truly a stunt woman I very much want to be an actor who can perform their own stunts but um, as far as like the things that stunt women do I mean they probably even have to bring someone in for me to do some of the things that uh, those women have to do and the people in the stunt community have to do because it is just they can do so many. Cra- I have a lot of friends in that community, and the things that they can do are wild to me. I want to be able to do my own combat choreography primarily, but as far mm-hmm. as like falling from great heights or things so like that, falling through windows, windows yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I would I would love to learn those things, and um, I'm a fast learner, and like people could teach me. But yeah. if they're willing to bring someone in, then no, for sure. No, ideally, <laughs> ideally, you, they're not putting you through that kind of stuff, right? the big falls and you know whatnot but it is i mean i've never directed action sequences or fights because i know they're to do them right is it's a lot of work and it's a commitment yes. and it just hasn't been a high priority yeah. for me to fit those into a project no absolutely sure but i i do like the idea of um having an actor that because like it's hard to sell the authenticity of a fight if you just never see their face. It's right. just like a weird thing. Exactly. So, no, it's super great. No. So, uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I definitely notice it in movies and TV when they switch out the stunt mm-hmm. performers. I'm like, stunt actor, stunt mm-hmm. person. And, like, in um, other films, like, where you can see their face the whole time and, and it's like the director wants you to know that the actor's doing their own stuff. Yeah. I always think that's super impressive. Like, yeah. Zendaya does, like, a lot of her own oh, does she? work and it's very impressive. And what? When does she fight? Um, or not necessarily in fighting. I was thinking about The Greatest Showman with the uh, all the of trapeze. her trapeze stuff. She does, like, you see her face through I'm sure it's... I, w- I would be scared to do that. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the jungle gym when I was, you know, being a kid. But, yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah. I was thinking again about a movie you haven't seen yet. It's called Black Widow. <laughs> 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 In theaters now. Because uh, they have, you know, there's a lot of women characters and women spy fighters. And so there's just so much. And then, and then... Uh, Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson have a lot of hand-to-hand combat in there and it's weird watching it again from like the almost more of like the script supervisor's perspective on or even the director's storyboarding I don't know just where you see the fight and then they have a lot of 
close-up interactions of the face. You can like really get in there and see the right. see, see the beats of the emotion in the fight. Um, but then I'm like, wait, there are some wider shots too of the like. Oh my gosh, it's just both of them going at it. Yeah, and that's very cool. That was great. I don't know, but what is uh, <laughs> what what is the what is the I don't know. I'm not gonna ask that question. Lame question. I'll save it. Anything else? And what are your okay? Stuff is opening back up. How do you feel? This is a non-acting question. Sure. Los Angeles living. How do you? Today is the day that LA County is saying psych right. with the masks. So how do you feel about all that? Um, I mean, I I haven't been like keeping super close tabs on like the hospital uh, rates and everything. Yeah. I imagine that, like, I like to think that um, they're using like data and scientific knowledge and like the statistics of. Uh, Sure, who's sure. in the hospitals and all of that That's stuff to determine like yeah exactly how like where the public needs to be in supporting that cause and not overwhelming our hospital staff so i mean at least for me i'm just like it's not an inconvenience to obviously like i i want everything to go back to normal just yeah, like everyone else yeah. but at least for me when i'm thinking about the people who are truly on the front lines like when i think about it from that way it's just like the least i can do is put on a mask and no, no, prevent no. the spread for sure, of and course. i mean i'm vaccinated and um like i'm hoping that um like i mean my family's vaccinated and um so i mean i just hope that like I mean, we're, we're getting there, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. get there. I know that there are the variants and everything, which is scary, but variants. yeah. Delta variant. Delta variant. Yeah. Cause I know, I guess what I think about is, yeah. oh, um, the project I was talking to you about how I just, uh, I did like one day on this project right? and I guess I haven't, the protocols vary so much between different productions. It's very weird. But this one, I don't, I don't recall. No, it was a different one. I've had different interviews. Regardless, I was asked if I was vaccinated. I'm like, yes, I'm all good to go. I'm like, nice. great, great. So anyway, we still need you to get tested. And I'm like, okay. And then there's a survey they send out with a call sheet. And then you still have to wear your mask on set. So it's just like a mask on a mask on a mask on a mask yep. on a mask. Yep. I had the same thing. I was um, I was casting a role on CSI Vegas a couple weeks ago. and Or maybe it was, it was pretty recent. It was within the past month um, that I did that. And CBS is like very, very strict about that as well. Like um, I actually wasn't asked if I was vaccinated. But I did have to go to their testing site, get a COVID test done there. Um, like do the Q&A every day that I showed up on, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. every day that I had to um, work with everyone um, and then had to get another COVID test upon arriving on location and um, like all those things. And I, I get that they're trying to, they're trying to cover their bases. Yeah. They don't want to have to halt production. And I mean, there are a lot of people 
I mean, like at CSI Vegas, there are a lot of people there. Um, yeah, yeah. So they for have sure. a very big crew, and so hundred um, plus easy. Yeah, but like, yeah, the masks weren't quite as. I mean, people would usually wear them around, like when they were just walking around, but. Um, Maybe it was just because I was an actor and they needed to like preserve my makeup that they that they yeah, um, were they, fine with the face shield or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Actors <laughs> always get to not wear their mask, and I get jealous. <laughs> I get jealous. It's the makeup. They don't want to smear my lipstick or whatever is no, going for on. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Either way, I don't know. I'm just. I'm trying to imagine the. <sighs> Because I guess the frustrations for me, let's let's say, is I'm a big fan of, I guess this comes with the filmmaking process in this, in this background that I have, where I'm a, I'm a big fan of communication, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of transparency. Like, I, let's say, I hate being on productions where stuff is happening, and everybody's confused right. and yep. the director and the producers won't tell you what's going on or why they're exactly. making decisions and it's like no 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 just come on and let your team in on it we're here to help blah 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 so then with governmental decisions on all right this is what we're seeing this is what we're making decision some, I don't know. It's like, all right, great. We're opening up the state. And it's like, all right, all right I guess it's happening. I don't... I, there's there's a communication gap for some reason. Like, wait, why are, you, why are we making the decisions? I don't know what, what the best case scenario is on this. On it's, it's hard to stay in the loop. Like, I know I just saw Instagram stories of people sharing the little... The little infographic of the date and then the mask mandate coming back mm -hmm. but like if they had bullets on maybe they did maybe i didn't even look at the the thing do you recall seeing like a you know there's the infographics where you can swipe and they kind of have little breakdowns of oh, what's going on um yeah no i know what you're talking about i don't really remember seeing anything for this mandate in, in particular because mostly what i've been seeing of course is just like um it's kind of the non-vaccinated issue of mm -hmm. the Delta variant coming through. And even right. if you were sick once before, the Delta variant's the new ones, so you can get sick again. Mm -hmm. And all these non-vaccinated people are getting sick and the numbers are going back up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess the key is just get vaccinated. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But it's, it's just weird. I don't like... I don't like the back and forth of, hey, I'm making a decision, come right. to come to set, we're prepping for this, you arrive on set, and it's like, no, actually, I changed my mind, we're going to do this, and you, all the preparation. Right, this and, is just and, so unprecedented, people are just like, have no idea <laughs> what the right way to handle certain things are. No, I completely agree, communication is vital. <laughs> in life, and no, for sure, everything, that's always what I stress. Um... I, okay. We can either... There's two directions. I'll give you the option. Okay. On which direction to go here. We can talk about uh, the Chinese folk dancing. Cause you talked about that being a nice... A nice end to the Chinese culture and mm -hmm. getting to experience that. 
Um, and then I know you posted recently too, and I thought this was interesting because I didn't know much about it and I didn't hadn't been on my mind, but uh, or if there's even anything else that you want to bring to it. But I believe you're the one that posted it. Was um, Illinois requiring um, Asian history to be told in schools? Oh yeah, like that was a thing that had never crossed my mind before really yeah or that i yeah but that was a thing that happened recently yeah in illinois so there's those routes you can hit both yeah either either way is um or or, sorry or (laughs) no go ahead yeah or no, one of those, and then we can also, I don't know if you have any, any questions for me, too, but, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I, we can very briefly touch upon, like, teaching Asian American history in Illinois. I mean, I think that's, like, that's such a big step for the Asian American community, because I just feel like growing up in, I had no understanding of how, like, I knew how I came to the United States, But I had no idea of, like, the larger movements and, like, Mm -hmm. Asian American history in America and, like, the races, the history of racism that my own community has faced and, um, like, why there are tension between certain communities and just, like, all those things I had to very much seek out on my own, which actually kind of ties into my into the Chinese folk dance actually because that was very much an aspect of Chinese culture and my heritage that I had to seek out on my own and um, so I think that um, obviously can't speak for everyone but a lot of Asian Americans have that in common in that um, we're not always given the tools to fully have a comprehensive understanding of our history how we got here and having that is so necessary to move forward and to see like where we can go, what's Mm -hmm. been done already, like what work has been done and how can we use that to like keep pushing forward and keep creating a better environment and society for um, all people of color, but all people in general Mm -hmm. um, in the United States. And it starts with education. It starts early. It starts with um, exposing everyone to a lot of different perspectives not just asian american history but also um, african-american history and like black culture and like the black experience in america is so vital because of like the deeply ingrained um racism within our justice system and just like everything everything that our society is built on um, it just starts early it starts with educating children and exposing them to different um to diversity and to different mm-hmm. ideals and to different histories early and um, just to create a more informed public and people who want to be on the right side of history. A more informed public is very <laughs> important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah no, it, I, you know, it's, it's, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. And, no, it's interesting. I wonder... Because I don't know, like, when you were, like, growing up in school, I don't know if you have any, like, vivid memories of, like, um, learning about different cultures or different ethnic groups in the United States. I don't know if that was... Because did you go to school in Reno? Like, did you grow up there? uh, Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I was originally born in New Mexico. Okay. Um, 
I only went there to like second grade, and then I, otherwise it was Reno. Mm -hmm. But I guess like as you're speaking, the only thing I could really recall. I don't know. School feels so long ago. Oh yeah. But, oh yeah. But I, 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 or maybe it's just like stories as of late with mm -hmm. like just you know Black History Month, where you have the one month, where there's the, I, there's there's a lot of backlash. Like especially with the Black Lives Matter move, Black Lives Matter movement, um, where it's kind of like the weirdness of okay this is the one month where we learn about black history but all the other months are white history right right <laughs> so then it's like all right sweet now we have this sliver and then we'll add another sliver for it's just like it's kind of weird yeah. it's still a weird feeling to me i do not recall much i don't know history wasn't really like a, a big topic that i really liked anyway yeah I, I just i don't like memorizing dates and stuff like I'm, I'm a bigger i'm a bigger picture guy like what did we what was the lesson that we got from that mm -hmm. but regardless i mean i think it's great yeah um, definitely i mean all i can recall learning about is slavery <laughs> and that's just like that's just it's not all of it you know there's so much like i remember learning a little bit about the civil rights movement but there are just, just so many aspects of that history and culture that, like, we need to know um, if we're ever going to make any kind of headway. Yeah, so. no, it's a weird lens for sure. Like, even thinking about, uh, like, the Native American story and how quickly that's kind of glossed over. Oh, always. <laughs> always, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, we don't yeah. want to explore the true atrocities that, like, we have committed because we want to like fuel that patriotism and it's like it's very possible to be patriotic and mm -hmm. to love your country but still want to improve it in so many ways and the only way you can truly do that is to learn about like the mistakes yeah, that yeah. have been made so we don't make them again you know so no that, for sure so I, I guess i guess like me I, I think i've mentioned this a couple times before on the podcast but like, growing up, I didn't really have a good sense of, like, what nationality I was mm -hmm. or, like, who I was from from that kind of perspective. Because, uh, like, kids would always ask me in school, like, hey, what are you? And all that kind of... I mean, I'm sure it's, it's a very common question that kids ask each other. But, uh, I mean, I still get asked. But regardless... <laughs> My parents would always say, it's like, oh, just say you're Spanish, just say you're Spanish. And I'm just like, what does that mean? <laughs> what, do, what do you mean, just say you're... Or... So I never really quite felt like I was confident in whatever cultural, national, nationality mm -hmm. background. So I kind of grew up kind of this weird hodgepodge of... I don't really feel, I don't think, I don't really feel like I'm a, just a white dude with these white friends or uh, I don't really feel like fully Mexican with my Mexican friends. Mm -hmm. Like there was this weird in-betweenness. So like going through that kind of stuff, like I was just like learning cultural, different, different histories always felt like 
Yeah, I could I could relate to like everything because sure, sure, I'm not I don't know what I am, so mm-hmm. that all makes sense to me. Um, but then as of late, I think you mentioned like on your YouTube that you did like a twenty three and Me. Yeah, I was going breakdown. to ask if you had ever done one of those <laughs> DNA tests yeah, before. Yeah, I'd so, be so curious. So, I am two thirds Spanish, so mm-hmm. Spain, Spaniard. Okay. To the two of the Americas, and then one third native. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Wow. So, so it's just a classic story of the of the Spaniards coming to the states and doing their doing their thing. Um, so that's when the later investigation of like, oh, I'm kind of curious on my background now that I'm older. Let me do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder how this native plays in. Like, what was that relationship like? Like, what 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 tribes were involved? Right. It, it very much takes place in the New Mexico region, mm-hmm. but regardless, like I was kind of saying how how glossed over that kind of history is because of, yeah. of the stuff. It's absolutely. It's, it's and, a weird thing that I I yeah. feel a, quite a disconnection to, but. I wish I felt more connected. Yeah, well, yeah I know, definitely. That's yeah. a huge part of why that education is so important. Also, like, that's a really important point in that, like, children are so, like, are still experiencing and learning about the world and forming their identity and who they're going to be. And I just completely agree that if we do that early and, like, give them... Like just even open the door for them to learn about so, those hey, aspects hey, of their this identity. thing exists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then like they can form a stronger identity as they get older and have the confidence and community in that. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. No, that's so interesting. I'm glad that you took the test. I was really curious if you had taken the test when you were saying that you weren't sure just oh. because um, it, I, I feel like people's results are so just like, I don't know, like what was your reaction to seeing that results like just i don't know yeah where you just kind of <laughs> i don't know it was just like oh great at least i have an answer yeah yeah but it, I, I didn't i don't know it doesn't to me it doesn't feel too like i said i'm so disconnected <laughs> i feel so disconnected to it from it you don't disconnect to you disconnect from yeah um that it feels quite similar to like a horoscope reading or something <laughs> it's like oh what month or like what's your you know the the it's like okay great at least i have an answer for people when right. they ask right but i don't let it affect i don't it doesn't quite i don't feel like it has too much play on how i, I dictate my personality no. even though it may be the very definition of who i am no i, don't but know. I mean it's like, a weird thing yeah me. i mean everyone has different relationships with like their ethnic identity and everything and like it's just that's just yours like it i was gonna say there's yeah there's nothing right or wrong with the with any any of it (laughs) yeah yeah great anything uh no that's what i had on that you kind of you kind of you kind of threw in the chinese folk dancing a little bit i don't know Mm -hmm. if there's much there that you were curious to bring up or what that what that did for you or if you recommend it for people to explore themselves i mean i think it's a beautiful art form i started chinese dance when i was four years old and it was the primary way i kept in touch with my culture and aside from the cultural significance that it has for me 
it is just like so much fun. I love dance. It's like such a beautiful mm -hmm. form of self-expression. And I think that Chinese folk dance is such a beautiful way of passing down those traditions and like the history and the heritage. And so I, yeah, I have a lot of pride in the, in my Chinese dance and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have never been, dancing scares me. Yeah. It's so scary. But like you are such, like you've, based on like the black belt and the dancing and the black belt and the dancing, <laughs> like there's a lot of physicality built into, like I, I don't, there's, it's just not something that grabbed me very well. Like I, I, but then again, I, I know I'm taking like dancing one-on-one courses and stuff, like little free little lessons and whatnot, but it's so difficult. So I think it's very awesome that uh, you're, yeah. you, you Also, know. let me ask, like what kind sure. of kid were you? Like what were you super into as a little kid? Because for me, it was dancing. I mean, what did I, as a little kid? I know I was big. So when you say little, you're talking or just like, like in your childhood, or just like in your childhood, <laughs> even like I don't know. Kids have such like like my brother was very into marine life when he was young. Uh -huh. Like I'm I'm talking about like zero to ten, like when you were like in those formative years of this, okay. like what were your interests? Okay, it was great. Okay, so that's most of that time I was still living in New Mexico, very tiny town. Uh, like a thousand thousand person population town, little village. And uh, so growing up as a kid there was beautiful because it felt like, you know, the old days where like my family roamed and I could just like ride my bike around with right, no fear right. of getting kidnapped. Or... <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was pretty big into exploring. Like me and my brother would always be outside playing. And I know that my bicycle was a huge thing for a long time. Uh -huh. um, I felt like, I don't know, like the, the basic stuff. Like I always felt very creative with like mm -hmm. building things and digging holes and playing in the dirt and, having my stuffed animals yeah. and giving them personalities and playing with those and doing Legos and that kind of stuff. Well, see, that makes sense to me. Like just like, Yeah, exactly. That makes sense to me as far as just like what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm always so curious because um, my fiance was like very into history and knights and uh, like medieval and time periods and stuff. But he also like really liked like wanted to be a pastry chef when he was really little and like now mm. he's a chef okay, um and so okay. it's just like the different things that yeah. i'm just always curious like what people are very and my brother is the complete opposite like i told you he was very into marine life and now he's like very um like he's in the education um sphere and speaks like so many different languages and like is into linguistics wants to get his phd like is very into mm -hmm. um like education resources and providing those for people so it's just like i don't know some people are just completely opposite of what they end up doing uh, and so yeah, it sounds yeah. like yours are kind of compatible <laughs> yeah no it, you find your way back to i mean that's a, that's the that's the thing about being a kid is you don't you're just exploring and you're figuring stuff out but you kind of have an idea of what you like to do mm -hmm. so that's like i remember in my early 20s <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, finally having the freedom to be like to explore yourself a little bit more. Right. I was like, great. Let's let me bake all these cakes and yeah. eat all these cookies because you know what, my parents can't tell me not to anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then you gain a bunch of weight, and then <laughs> it happens always, to the yeah. best of us. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, no, I thought you were going to ask about personality, because... Well, both. I, I'm curious about both now. Well, well what, what, what about you? Okay, me. I... Because you, you kind of mentioned, like, how acting in high school... I don't know when you jumped into it. Yeah, in high the theater, school, Like, that kind of yeah. helped bring out you. Yeah, it was real quiet before... Like, would not talk in class, would not participate. But somehow, really but somehow you found the courage to jump into theater in high school. Or sooner. Junior high. I don't no, know. The, yeah, it was, it was high, high school. school. Okay. I, because well, I wanted to be an actor first. Oh, kind yeah. Kind of similar to you as a writer, where uh -huh. it's like, well. Oh, so we were, we're opposite <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah. So, but my personality was, I was always like the, the quietest shyest like i'm just an observer type mm -hmm. so i like to watch people and observe things and i'll speak when i have something to say but like i always had difficulty kind of uh being an outgoing type or like it just wasn't me i'm super introverted and it took me to like i was i like to say until i was like 23 until i really kind of started finally budding and right. fl flowering. That's not the right word at all. Blossoming. Blossoming. <laughs> yeah, I took an acting one-on-one -on -one class in my last semester of college that kind of helped to re-spark the creativity. Yeah. So I went there for engineering. And, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I got, so I got my bachelor's in uh, mining engineering specifically. Oh, my goodness. And... Uh, but yeah, I took acting 101 because I was tired of all the math and science. And I'm like, you know what? I need a creative switch. And here I am. So, wow. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, super. Yeah, I could not. I couldn't. Yeah. Acting crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> no, I don't like it. I tried it. And it, no, it definitely helped, like doing improv classes and oh, like all that. Improv is scary, though. No, it is. Like but, I say that as an act, like I improv is terrifying. Which is which is exactly why you want to attack it. Exactly. Because it's so scary. Right. No. Yeah. That's a very good way to live your life. Yeah. yeah for absolutely. sure. So yeah, it was a lot of work. I'm still. Well, if you put me in the direct, if I'm in the director chair, I can be, like you know, I'm kind of the central hub and I want to set a tone and I want to I'm still like a more of a quiet director very like personal let's all right let's get in this talk right. versus like the boasty putting on a show guy mm -hmm. but uh if I'm a script supervisor I'm just like in the shadows lurking <laughs> being quiet and speaking up only when I've got something pivotal to say mm -hmm. usually so yeah I, you know and then you you mentioned that you were shy before Yes. Quiet. Yeah. Do you still consider yourself to default to that? Or have you kind of, do you have a new, what, what are you, what, how, what, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of, so I took the Myers-Briggs personality test because I was really curious about that mm -hmm. because I was such like, I mean, I was 
always performing from when I was little. Like I would compete in martial arts, I would dance, but in school and socially, I just did not have the confidence. I was like, I did not, I was not confident in myself at all throughout elementary or middle school. And I think that in high school, I very much like found my people, found my voice. My theater teacher was so instrumental Mm. in um, helping me gain that confidence to be like, no, I have something unique to offer. You know, I can, I can do this. And so like all of that happened. And then like I went to college, um, just further honing um, like my acting education. And then You know, the Pacific Miss Asian American pageant was also super instrumental in me finding Mm. my voice, finding the things that I'm passionate about, finding the things about myself that are unique and that I can be confident in enough to enter and feel like I have a chance of winning this pageant. And then when I did, that was the biggest confidence boost. It was like, oh, I did it, you know, wow. And then I never did another pageant after that. Um, uh, But I think that that was just so huge in me, like... Um, I went to so many events and spoke to so many people and delivered so many speeches and emceed and hosted and did all this stuff in the public eye. And then it was just so funny. Like, I don't know if you felt your personality change at all during the pandemic, but during the Mm. pandemic, I was, oh yeah, (laughs) I just like very much reverted back to that home body. I like, I like never want to go anywhere. (laughs) And, um, um, I mean, it's a very self self uh, reflective time. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was for me. But so I took that Myers Briggs personality okay. test, and during I during the pandemic. During the pandemic, and I am like fifty one percent extroverted and forty nine percent introverted. So you know, it's a mix. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I, a nice balance. Yeah. Every now and then I'll be at like a networking event and then I'll get inside my head and I'll, because I love to network. I love to talk to people. I get very energized when I talk to people. Um, But uh, every now and then I'll revert back to just like that really shy girl from middle school. Just like, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) you need to get out of here. (laughs) No, I I feel that for sure. Like I'm, I'm a similar, I think I'm a similar way. Like I definitely feed off the, like I love networking and I love talking to people, but I'm very, I don't like to be influenced by external, what's the word, things, <laughs> by like external stuff. Like I try to, I try to be very conscious, like be confident in myself and yeah. then no matter which room you step in, you can just, you know, present. But the one external thing that really always hinders me is like noise because my voice is so like I don't I don't know how to I haven't done any like vocal training whatsoever like I can't my voice can't cut through a loud room where everybody's just talking and it's super loud like at, let's say like a like at a like at a loud bar or whatever if the music's loud and everybody's shouting at each other it is not a place for me to communicate whatsoever so I revert to like a mute almost like I just can't because I can't do it so I hate it but otherwise I love it yeah so no absolutely I don't know that makes sense it's a weird I don't know why I said it but no it makes perfect sense yeah sure uh okay so you did that test 5149 (laughs) okay I was gonna ask about the childhood one more time yeah how is it I'm trying to relate to you saying you could you were performing from a young age, mm-hmm. 
but you didn't have the confidence in like the day-to-day -day normal human interaction stuff to present thyself. Me, I couldn't do either one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have spe specific memories of like in kindergarten, there's like this, I think it was like kindergarten graduation or something where we all lined up alphabetically and I, my last name's V, so I'm at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And we had coordinating a, a thing for the parents where like everybody has a line to sing throughout this song. <laughs> So all the parents are there and we're in a line going alphabetically and I just hate like we had a we had a perform we had rehearsed it sure but I hated the I don't know I think it's just like the weight of like your time is coming up like even like in track and field like I hate like I did track in high school for a couple of years and I hate being on the blocks waiting for the gun to go off. Right. Like I hate the anticipation of it's time to go. Oh, that's always the worst part. It's just like it hurts. <laughs> and like in kindergarten when that time was coming, it was like my time was coming up. Oh, one ter one person. Mm -hmm. By the time it came to me, I think I, I just cried. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even sing my line. Oh, I just like no. broke under the pressure, cried. Oh. And then my parents had to like take me to the bathroom or something. Oh. Whatever happened. But. So I'm kind of scarred in like oh the performance. I've I've worked through it. Don't don't right. worry. Don't worry. Oh, but I'm just imagining you as little <laughs> so kids. I just no, I hate sure. it when little kids are sad or get nervous. Yeah. Oh. So it's just something we have to work through. But that like that's how it was for me. So I couldn't imagine having to perform the dance or or compete in front of an audience or whatever you had to do. But how how did how how did it feel to perform? What did it just not feel like a performance, or how did how did that go? I mean, I think I just started at such a young age that it just didn't really phase me anymore. Like I don't really get um, like because I still get butterflies for sure. Like I still feel mm -hmm. that anticipation. But I don't really get stage fright the way a lot of other people like describe getting stage fright, you mm -hmm. know, and um, just like I started so young that that's not really, um, I don't yeah. know, I'm not nervous being in front of a crowd. Like I, I think that it's fun in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um, and like still feel those butterflies, like feel, still feel the anticipation of like I'm about to do something, mm -hmm. you know, but when I get out there, I'm like, I'm like, ah, is, is it, is it, has fun. it transformed? Because I could say, like, I'm projecting onto you a little bit here, but has it transformed from like fear to excitement? Yeah. In a way where yeah. it's the same kind of feeling, but it feels good now. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's like, so much of performance is self-expression and so like I just get such a like wonderful rush of like this is like where I feel so comfortable and this is like where mm -hmm. I feel so in my element of like of dancing and like performing and like competing in martial arts it's just like this is what I do you know and um yeah yeah, I don't know if you get into a similar thing when you're writing or directing, but just like where you're in that zone. I love it. And you're, yeah, that's how I feel I when it. I'm on stage. It's like, it's not even so much fear. I don't think I ever really, or maybe if I did feel that fear, it was like so young and I don't really rem remember it. But 
yeah, you just get in that zone, and I'm just like, okay, this is what I'm like. I do. Mm -hmm. This is like what I'm passionate about. Like, I'm super excited about it. So yeah, it's the best feeling. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel that more when you're directing or writing, or like, do you find like one aspect that you that you really feel it? It's definitely. I mean, just being on set. Being on set in general, I feel that it doesn't matter what position I'm in because, like, yeah. like, like we're kind of saying, I, I have the capability of. I'm just a fan of being a support player too when it comes down to it. So whether I'm the guy directing and leading the show and setting the tone, or I'm just a support player, I'm still. Because the thing that I, kind of, have pin pointed it down to that's not the I don't know is the the living in the moment aspect of being on set mm -hmm. or like being on the stage I'm sure like you're you're in that you're in the moment you're there to do a thing and you're only paying attention to what's happening in front of you mm -hmm. ideally so when I'm on set whether it's directing or script supervising the only thing that's important is like the right right now what's happening is the biggest thing that matters being here so just whenever you can get into that zone i just it feels it feels great and feels oh, very definitely. happy so yeah i don't know Absolutely. it's directing it's how it feels the whole time yeah. so it's always trying to get back to that right mm -hmm. no i agree same here yeah great well we're in we're in we're in a good place for that so yes yeah well pretty much all i got yeah no thank you so much for having me this has been a really good conversation and i feel like we've touched on a lot of different things yeah, here yeah so. so yeah thanks again for coming out thanks for being a part last question very simple if people want to follow you on your journey or keep in touch or or whatever not keep in touch but like follow you where can people find you yeah i am on facebook and instagram my instagram username is at kira omens so k-i-r-a-o-m-a-n-s and on facebook you can look me up as well i'm also on youtube as you've mentioned and uh, yeah. yeah some great stuff on there thank you thank yeah. you yeah yeah i enjoyed going through your vo reel that oh was kind of cool <laughs> so there's like a quite the variety quite the quite the range oh on thank that. you that was kind of cool thanks i appreciate that <laughs> yeah. all right well um how do i end these <laughs> uh bye <laughs> thank you <laughs>